Welcome to A Little Louder Now, a podcast produced by the Bridge Initiative and FI360 Project. My name is Alex, and I'd like to welcome my colleague for today's podcast, Alicia. Hey, Alicia. Hey. Today, we are doing a recording for this month in women's history. We are in August, and today we are talking about Anne Frank. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm excited to talk about Anne Frank and her legacy. Um, this one hit me hard. Yeah. So I think that um, there's a lot to be learned. There's a lot to talk about with Anne Frank and her legacy. And um, before we before we dive into this one, I just want to do a little bit of uh, outside context for our listeners. Uh, both Alicia and myself, we are students of history as well as avid readers. So at the end of the podcast, we're gonna put um, we're gonna have some book recommendations, uh, not just about Anne Frank, but we'll give some recommendations, uh, books to read uh, about the subject of World War II, um, other accounts similar to Anne's. Right. We we've read many period pieces. Yes. About World War II and um, specifically the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Nazi regime. We also have some nonfiction pieces that we'd like to suggest if you haven't already read them, um, as they give a lot more scenery. Um, actually, one of them is really interesting. It's if you read it with Anne's actual diary, it has photographs from her life. Oh, cool. So you can sort of read them together um, to give you a more whole holistic picture of her life and her experience. So that being said, um, Alicia, tell me why we're talking about Anne and why we're talking about her specifically in August. Okay, so for those of you who are unfamiliar with Anne Frank, she was inspirational, I think is the word I'm going to use. Her family went into hiding to avoid persecution by the Nazis, and while in hiding, she kept a diary that became the Diary of a Young Girl, which has been translated into over 60 languages and brought her fame. After her death, of course. So her account of their hiding humanized the atrocities committed by the Nazis, providing the world with a face for the 1.5 million Jewish children that were murdered in the Holocaust. Her diary is a key to remembering the genocide as well as to honor the dead. Her unmitigated faith in humanity is what is so inspiring about her. We are covering her in August because Anne and her family were arrested in August 1944 by the Gestapo and transported to concentration camps. Anne and her sister Margot were initially sent to Auschwitz, then transferred to Bergen-Belsen where they later died. So that is why we're covering her in August uh, was their arrest, which really brought about the book and her legacy. So that's why we chose this date. Thank you for the context. You are welcome. <laughs> um, tell me about why, I mean, we know that Anne is so inspirational. Obviously, you and I do. Um, tell me why she is a trailblazer. So Anne is a trailblazer. I, I think I mentioned her mitigated faith in humanity. That's why she's a trailblazer. In one of the worst situations ever, she never gave up. She In her diary, she wrote... Um, I'm going to flip my paper here, so sorry. (laughs) Um, One of her quotes is, whoever is happy will make others happy. And in the long run, the sharpest weapon of all is a kind and gentle spirit. Can you imagine being in an apartment, in hiding from people that want to kill you, with your family and a family of strangers, and still having that sort of hope and belief in in the human spirit and the goodness of humanity? I I don't know that I would. I'm going to be honest. And she took such a situation and... And made something good out of it, mm-hmm. you know, as good as she could. One of her other quotes is, I found that there is always some beauty left in nature, in sunshine, freedom, in yourself. These can all help you. I don't think of all the misery, but of the beauty that still remains. Like, that's, wow. <laughs> and I mean, she was a child. Yeah. You know, she wasn't, she wasn't an adult. She was a kid. For her to have that sort of insight, and she actually, during their occupation, she heard on a radio station of another Dutch person who had been, I guess he had fled, 
and he wrote, everybody write down your experiences because we're going to compile a book together at the end of this to, mm-hmm. to document the atrocities. So she actually did this for posterity's sake. She had in mind, I'm going to get my stuff published because I, I want to document what we had to go through. So she's writing all of her very most inner private thoughts and feelings about being in hiding and, and being a wanted fugitive, basically, as well as her th- thoughts on God and, and, and humanity and how she hasn't lost her faith. I think she's a trailblazer in that she took a situation um, that would be incredibly difficult to live through and turned it into the best that she could. And I think that we could all learn from that. Absolutely agreed. So, so that is why I was so interested in talking about her today with you. I am very excited about this podcast, even though uh, it doesn't necessarily sound that we're very excited. No, I mean, like, if you can't... a difficult one. You can't you know? be peppy about this. No. You know what I mean? It's impossible for us to be, you know, as, as, as excited and as, as hyper uh, about this podcast as we are for some of the other subjects that we talk about. But let's get into Anne. Let's talk about, um, let's talk about her early life. Okay. So Annalise Marie Frank was born on June 12th, 1929. She was the second daughter to a German-Jewish family. In 1933, after the Nazi party won the election, they made plans to move to Amsterdam to get out of there. By February 1934, they were in Amsterdam and among the 300,000 Jews who fled Germany between 1933 and 1939. In May 1940, the Nazis invaded the Netherlands, and the occupational government began to persecute Jews by the implementation of restrictive and discriminatory laws. Her father, Otto, tried to arrange for the family to emigrate to the U.S., but the application was never processed. Um, the consulate that he applied to closed, and in their closing, they lost all of the documentation, including his application. Mm-hmm. So that is just heartbreaking. But even if even if his application had been processed, they probably would not have been permitted to emigrate because the U.S. was concerned at the time that people with close relatives still in Germany could be blackmailed into becoming Nazi spies. Mm-hmm. This was before the U.S. had joined the war. This was before they knew about the concentration camps. So, you know, this is, they probably wouldn't have been allowed to emigrate anyway. So, <laughs> because he was a Jewish man in German-occupied Netherlands, he had to liquidate the ownership and positions at both of his companies because they would have been forcefully closed and ransacked if he didn't, because he was a Jewish man. Um, so he basically gave up his positions, gave up his stipend, gave up everything that he built with these companies. He still received a small allowance that was just enough to provide for his family, but he basically had to walk away from everything that he had built. On on her 13th birthday in June of 1942, Otto gave Anne a book with a red and white checkered cloth, and she immediately began to use it as her diary. She, or sorry, her entry from June 20th of that year, 1942, details the many restrictions that were placed on the lives of the Dutch Jewish population at the time. Right. So, I mean, they were just making it work, right? So they had just enough money to survive. They had a place to live. They weren't in hiding yet. What really um, forced them to go into hiding was that Anne's sister Margot was ordered to a work camp on July 5th, 1942. And work camp means concentration camp. Mm-hmm. So the family went into hiding the following morning, in the secret annex, right? Yeah, the secret annex, which was just a three-story space above his previous office. Um, the door was covered by a book pick, excuse me, bookcase to prevent discovery. Um, and this house has been immortalized, and you can go visit it as the Anne Frank house. You can go 
see where they were in hiding. Um, so a few trusted employees of Otto's were their caretakers. Johannes, Bep, Miep, and Victor. Um, they provided them safety and food, in, and they faced the death penalty of God for helping them and hiding them. So, I mean, that says a lot <laughs> about their um, kindness, I think. When they and then when they went into hiding, didn't they they left a note in their in the apartment that they lived in, um, indicating that they had run away to Switzerland and they they like they arranged their apartment so that it appeared like they had just up and left. Yeah, they like tore things out of drawers mm-hmm. and and like made it look like it was disarray mm-hmm. to make it look like they after she got the call about the work camp that they just packed their bags and hightailed it out of there. Um, yeah. So, I mean, they kind of set, like, a false trap, I suppose. False trail for Gestapo? Yeah. About a month later, four more people came into the secret annex to hide, and that made it cramped. So, and tensions rose, obviously, strangers in close quarters, and over time, they couldn't get as much food, so everybody was hungry, and I don't know about you, but when I'm hungry, I'm grumpy, so. (laughs) I know. Um, I can't imagine being contained in an apartment with eight, you know, seven other people, and everybody's hungry and everybody's grumpy, but you can't leave because you'll die. So I, I think that that would be very difficult, especially for a young lady. You know, Margot and, and Anne were teenagers. Yeah, they were young teens. So, I mean, think about how hard those formative years are anyway. <laughs> then add in this. So Trapped with your parents as a teenager. Yeah. You know. So this whole time, Anne is writing in her diary. Uh, she described the social interactions and her dreams, her belief in God, her purpose. She, um, about writing, she wrote, I want to be useful or bring enjoyment to all people, even those I've never met. I want to go on living even after my death. And that's why I'm so grateful to God for having given me this gift, which I can use to develop myself and to express all that's inside of me. She probably didn't realize that was going to be true. I mean, I mean, it's absolutely true. How many people have... Everybody knows who Anne Frank is, right? So, I I mean, this is... Her book, which we'll talk about later, is required reading in Mm -hmm. American schools. Almost all of them. So, um, millions of people know her name. Billions. She also wrote uh, this, this, this quote. It's a wonder I haven't abandoned all my ideals, yet I cling to them because I still believe in spite of everything that people are truly good at heart. It's powerful. It's very powerful. It's moving. Um, I respect her a lot for being in that situation and having such a difficult life thrust upon her. And and having the outlook on people that she did, Mm -hmm. even though she was being hunted. Basically like an animal. Yeah. Her final entry in the diary was dated August 1, 1944. Yeah, and on the morning of August 4th, 1944, um, the Gestapo and the German police stormed the secret annex. They, the SS was there. All of the inhabitants were taken into prison, in addition to two of their caretakers. Yep, um, who was one of their caretakers that was not taken into prison, found that the family had been taken, gathered up all of Anne's writings, notes, and personal effects, and held them for her to give them to her after the war. Um, so this... If you're familiar with the timeline of World War II, it ends in 1945. So this is August 1944. Mm-hmm. And um, April 1945 is when it ended. Right. That time frame is going to be important. Yes. <laughs> so um, there's there's no real definitive 
answer on who actually betrayed them, right? They're, nobody actually knows. This eats at me. Like, I want to know. I want to find this person, and I want <laughs> to bring them to justice. <laughs> I This is not cool, man. It's not cool. So I there, there are suspicions that it was um, two of the caretakers. It was a father-son, uh, Johannes and Bep, and mm-hmm. his... Johannes's daughter and Beth's sister didn't approve and wasn't informant for the SS. So there is speculation that she was the person to turn them in. It could have been something as simple as ration coupons. They saw that a lot of ration coupons were being used in that household and were like, "Mm, this is too much food for this many people, and then figured it out. I mean, it could have been nobody. It could have been many people. Nobody knows. So that's that's chilling, too, I suppose. How did they figure it out? Because, um, I mean, they were in there for two years. Yeah, I, I mean, I, that's something that I doubt we'll ever actually know. But, um, you yeah, know, so they were, they were taken by the German police and the SS August 4th, 1944. Almost a month later, September 3rd, they were all deported to Auschwitz. Mm-hmm. And so upon arrival at Auschwitz, the SS forcibly separated the men from women. Um, and the women and children were sent one way, and Otto Frank was wrenched from his family. Um, those deemed able to work were admitted into the camp, and those deemed unfit for labor were immediately killed. That, I mean, that was standard practice. Yeah. That, they've been doing that for years. That's not new right. um, at this point. So out of the 1,019 passengers on the train to Auschwitz, uh, 549, including all children younger than 15, were sent directly to the gas chambers. Anne Frank, who had turned 15 three months earlier, was the youngest person spared in her transport. I'm going to cry. Gonna cry. <laughs> You're going to cry. Right? <laughs> I warned her before we started that I was just going <laughs> to cry at the end of this, so get ready. Here they come. Um, so this was the last... Do you want me to take over? No. Okay. I did want to say one more thing, though. This is the last train to Auschwitz. Mm-hmm. She was literally... If they had not caught her for a month and a half later, she would not have been sent to a concentration camp. She just would have been stuck in prison in the Netherlands because there were no more trains to Auschwitz because of the, the front was coming to Germany, basically. Yep. So she was on the last train to Auschwitz. Mm-hmm. You can take over now, so I can cry. <laughs> okay, Alicia's gonna go cry in the corner. Um, I, I will not cry. Try not to. <laughs> so okay. make this too waterworky here. Uh, okay, so with the other women and the girls that were not selected for the gas chamber and immediate death, um, Anne, she was forced to strip naked to be um, disinfected. She had her head shaved, and she was tattooed with an identifying number on her arm. By day. The women were used as slave labor, and Anne was forced to haul rocks and dig rolls of sod. Um, At night, they were all crammed into overcrowded barracks. Um, Some of the witnesses, they later testified that Anne became withdrawn and and tearful when she saw children being led to the gas chambers um, as any normal human being. I mean, it's not like they know they're being led to the gas chambers. They were told that they were going to the shower. Right. So... Yes. Anyone with the knowledge of what was actually happening would obviously be upset. Her friendly and confident nature allowed her to obtain extra bread rations for her mother, her sister, and and herself. So at this point, Anne, I, I guess from first-hand accounts of other people that survived, Anne figured that her father had been killed mm-hmm. because she's, he was in his 50s, he was not particularly fit, so she assumed that he had been gassed day one because they were separated. Her father is still alive at this point. Right. Um, her father is the only survivor of the secret annex. So he's the only one that comes home. Well, I mean, spoiler alert. Yeah, sorry. If you didn't already know that, now you do. <laughs> okay. Uh, disease in the camps 
was rampant. And, and before long, um, Anne's skin became badly infected by um, scabs. Scabies. Scabies, thank you. I don't know words. Um, <laughs> the, the Frank sisters, they were moved into an infirmary, which the infirmary that they were in was in this constant state of darkness, and it was infested with rats and mice and bugs and such. Um, their Pretty mother, dirty in there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, their mother, Edith Frank, stopped eating and, and saved every ounce, every morsel of her food for her daughters, and she would pass her rations to them through a hole that she made at the bottom of the infirmary wall. You're going to cry again. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, that's such a mom thing to do, though, right? I like, I, I would like to think that if I were in that situation, I would do the same thing. She basically starved herself to death to save her daughters. That's, that's love. Anyway, now that I'm sobbing. <laughs> On October 28th, uh, selections began for women to be relocated to um, Bergen-Belsen. Uh, more than 8,000 women, including Anne and Margot Frank and August Van Pels, were transported. Um, their mother, though, Edith Frank, she was left behind and she, she did die from starvation um, just weeks before Auschwitz was liberated. Tents were erected at Bergen-Belsen to accommodate the influx of all those 8,000 prisoners. And as that population rose, the death toll, um, due to disease, it, it increased rapidly. Yeah. So in early 1945, pretty much as soon as they got to Bergen-Belsen, a uh, typhus epidemic broke out, killing 17,000 people. Um, other, I mean, it was just a disease-infested place. You have that many people that are dirty. And that crammed all together. Crammed all together. And that, and you're not going to treat them because maybe you don't care. So <laughs> they're that, they're not human. Yeah, that's a that's a hotbed for disease, and that's this is inevitably what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. So due to the chaotic conditions, it's not possible to to determine the specific cause of Anne's death. However, there is evidence that she died from typhus. So um, Gina Turgill, excuse me, a survivor of Bergen-Belsen, knew Anne Frank at the camp. She told um, a newspaper that her Anne's bed was around the corner from her. Anne was delirious. She was terrible. She was burning up. Um, she brought Frank and Frank some water to wash, and um, she's that that other inmate said that it worked. She worked in the hospital, and the typhus epidemic just killed so many people. Um, Margot fell from her bunk in her weakened state and was killed by the impact because she was so very sick mm -hmm. and died a few days later. Like they were just both. Unable so to fight off. Yeah. I mean, you don't feed people and then they get sick. They're not going to get better, you know? And they didn't have, you know, proper clothing for... They had the no medical... Extreme care. Conditions. Yeah. The, basically, the hospital was a hole in the ground with, like, rats and stuff. So, I mean, yes. Um, and and this, was, this was right before... Um, you know, it's, it is thought um, that their deaths occurred only a few weeks before the British soldiers actually liberated the camp on April 15th, 1945. But um, further research in, in 2015 indicated that they actually may have died as early as February. Um, additional evidence, uh, witnesses recalled that the Franks displayed typhus symptoms by February 7th, and, and then Dutch health authorities reported that most of the untreated typhus victims died within 12 days of their symptoms, so it would follow then that if they were exhibiting symptoms in early February that they would have died by March. Yeah, at the, at the latest by March. So it's still within weeks um, mm -hmm. of, of the British actually liberating the camp. 
the the camp was burned in an effort to prevent further spread of the disease and all of those that died of the epidemic were buried in a mass grave so we don't actually have their burial spot because it was just sort of like a we want to protect as many people as possible at this point in addition to that like all of those 17,000 other prisoners a lot of died people. yeah it's a very large mass grave <clears throat> and a lot yeah. of people who don't know where their families are yeah um so Otto Frank survived his internment in Auschwitz. After the war ended, he went home. Um, he went to Miep, who was the person that was initially caring for his family and held all of Anne's documents. He learned that his entire family had been killed. Um, he attempted to determine the fates of his daughter's friends and learned that many of them had also been murdered. Um, Sonne Letterman often mentioned in Anne's diary, had been gassed along with her parents, her sister, um, and several of her other school friends. Several friends did survive. The extended family of Otto and Edith Frank survived because they had fled Germany during the mid-1930s, and they settled in Switzerland, the United Kingdom, the United States. Um, he was given, Miep gave him her diary, which he had never been permitted to read while they were in um, isolation, basically. And it just, it brought Anne back for him for a while, I think. Yeah. He, he said that he didn't realize the depth of her emotions and um, how much she noticed and wrote everything down. Um, so she kept a very accurate portrayal of things. He, but I think that um, by 1947, he had submitted it to be published. Yes. Um, because he knew that yes. other people needed to hear her. Work. He excluded one third of it, though. Mm-hmm. It was, she was very honest. Like I said, it was her most innermost thoughts. So he left out the um, parts where she's critical of her mother, because they're both already gone. Why publish that? Mm-hmm. And parts where she's discussing her own sexual autonomy and things like that. He was like, I don't really want that published either, which I kind of get. Um, so initially they had it published in a couple of years and it just took off. Um, I think you said this at the beginning that it was her book, her diary was translated into more than 60 languages. Mm-hmm. Um, Sold tens of millions of copies worldwide. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's required reading for a lot of schools. Um, yes. It's been adapted for stage and screen. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a testament to the human spirit and how unbreakable it is. I think it's really interesting that people they still continue to connect with her. Um, you know, in so many ways, in her in her diary, she's just an ordinary teenager, and she's just writing about ordinary teenager things. Mm-hmm. But on the other side of that coin, she's this extraordinary person, not, not only because she wrote these things amid, you know, war, violence, chaos, and just so much death, but also because, you know, in this teenage girl, we find just this reflective wisdom and this wit. You know, she is a woman of, of inward strength and courage, and her words, they continue to inspire people to, to provide optimism and lift generations of people up. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, if you think about it this way, her words and thoughts continue to offer hope to people. They, it crosses generations. Um, people of all backgrounds and cultures can identify with her and her thoughts and her strength and I think that's why one of the reasons why it's so um, pop I don't want to say the word popular but um, it, it really it affects you yeah. when you read it I don't know what the word I'm looking for there is um, but it, it that's why it's such a 
resonates. That's it. It resonates with you. Thank you, um, Miss Master Jen. Yeah, Miss Master Jen's sitting in here. She cried too, so you know. <laughs> um, yeah, it just really resonates with you because I think it doesn't matter where you come from or what language you speak, you can identify with that sort of trial of the human spirit and ultimately um, overcoming self-doubt and doubt in, in the quality and goodness of humanity and, you know, certifying to yourself that, yes, humanity is good. People are good. This is a bad situation, but overall, people are good. Yes. I think you can. anybody can identify with that. So, Alicia, let's talk about what we had said at the beginning that we were going to offer some book recommendations. Mm -hmm. um, you had a list of book recommendations um, on, on Anne Frank specifically. Yeah. I took a different approach and, and gave different... I'm going to give you some book recommendations that um, are different perspectives, different accounts of the Holocaust and, and World War II. So mine are nonfiction, and I think yours are more historical My, fiction. Yeah, mine are historical fiction. Um, so I have, obviously, if you haven't already read A Diary of a Young Girl by Anne Frank, please do so. Um, what's interesting is that you can also read Anne Frank, Beyond the Diary, A Photographic Remembrance um, by Rude Vanderol. It's a, a photo book, basically, with some notes on when the photos are taken, so you can read that as you're reading her diary to sort of get more context. Mm -hmm. um, Anne Frank Remembered, the story of the woman who helped to hide the Frank family is by Mia Geis, who was their caretaker and the person that found her documents and ultimately pushed Otto to get them published. Um, so that would be interesting as well. Um, in in my research, I it's interesting to me. I think I can't remember the exact year where Miab died, but I think it was like 2010. So lived a very long life. Yeah, and and Otto Frank lived to be I think he was 1980 when he passed away, 1990. So think about all the changes they saw. Um, so it's that really hit home for me too, which is unrelated, but I just thought I would mention that. Onto your books. Thank you. <laughs> okay, so as I said, my, my book recommendations are fiction, um, and they are different accounts than Anne's for the, the Holocaust and um, World War II. So first and foremost, um, one of my um, one of the books that has resonated with me so much um, is by Ruta Septis, Between Shades of Grey. Um, that one was really moving. Um, she wrote a couple of books about World War II, um, the Night Trilogy by Ellie Wiesel, Schindler's List, um, The Boy in the Striped Pajamas, The Only Woman in the Room, all ones that are uh, very... It's, it's hard to say that these books are really good. They're thought-provoking. They're very thought-provoking. They're very... They, they resonate. The, there's... Um, the subject matter in each of these books just... It really resonates with you. Um, and it's very... Very important to remember so right alicia will you lead our toast to Anne? yes we are going to toast to Anne, to her unyielding spirit unbreakable belief in humanity and her legacy so Anne, to Anne. thank you thank you for spending your time with us again this is a little louder now by the bridge initiative thank you alicia for our great conversation you're welcome Thank you listeners for taking some time with me today to talk about Anne Frank. Stay tuned for more podcasts featuring great women from financial services and all over talking about a variety of topics. If you'd like to catch up on what we've been doing, if you have questions, topic ideas, or if you'd like to join the Bridge Initiative community, you can visit fi360bridge.com to check out previous podcasts, webinars, and blog posts. 
Email us at bridge at fi360.com, and you can connect with us on Twitter at fi360bridge. You can also support the podcast without spending a dime by leaving us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, we want you all to get a little louder now. <laughs>